Welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional. Not a counselor, not a doctor, not a psychiatrist. No, I'm a guy with 757 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. You know what else I'm not? I'm not an ultra runner just yet. I'm training for my first 50K, along with my beautiful wife, Kayla, and I just signed up for a 101K this upcoming December. Whew! Because I'm not an ultra runner yet, I have the ultimate ultra runner on this episode of 40,000 Steps Radio. Katra, the dirt diva Corbett, is here to talk with us about her 150 plus races of 100 miles or more. But I think maybe even more powerfully, we're here to talk about her mental health struggles and her work in the community and the message that she sends that life is extraordinary on the other side of addiction. And life is extraordinary when we open ourselves up to getting help and to feeling love. So glad you folks are here. So grateful to Catra for coming on the podcast. I'm looking out the window and it is a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. Thank you for saving my life. (laughs) How many people would say that to the person who got them busted for dealing drugs? (laughs) This feels like one of those things that only Katra Corbett could say. But that was the case for her. She was in the throes of addiction. She was hooked on meth. And she and her boyfriend got set up. She got arrested. And that was her turnaround point. And now she's 27 years clean. My gosh, there are so many elements of her story that are just like it, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. This woman has run about 150 races of a hundred plus miles. If you get a look at her, she's bigger than life. She's, she's a rock star. She's an absolute modern unicorn. And yet she's also one of the most accessible, authentic rock stars I've ever met. And hey, man, I played in a band. I've met some terrible rock stars, some incredibly inaccessible, awful people. She is incredible. Katra is also a published author, and she's become an inspiration to so, so many in that way. Uh, Her book, Reborn on the Run, is available everywhere you buy your favorite books. It is moving, it's inspiring, it's often hilarious, but it is authentic, which again, that's the word that always comes to mind when I think about Katra, is her authenticity. When people reach out to her on Instagram, you know, coming to her with their mental health struggles and addiction struggles, she responds to them. She helps them. She has this unlimited capacity to love. And that's really what makes her story brilliant. And yes, she has done physical feats that many of us just can't fathom, but she's just a terrific human being. And so I'm spoiled that I got the opportunity to have her on my podcast. 
So yes, she got scared straight, which is something that kind of blows for a lot of us in recovery. It blows our mind that she had that one moment and it stuck. For a lot of us, there is a long struggle before we get help. Anybody who's at any stage of addiction or mental illness, I urge you to reach out to my partners at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. If you're loaded, it's going to run you 80 bucks. That's the max. If you're a veteran, an NIU student, or unemployed, you're going to get a break. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. If only I'd reached out to, a, uh, to an organization like that sooner, maybe I could have gotten help sooner. But you know what? I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for what I've lived through because it's taught me the compassion that I now have. And it's afforded me the opportunity to do the work that I'm doing now. And that circles back to Katra and her being grateful to that scumbag for turning her into the cops. <laughs> it's one of many tremendous stories that we went over in my conversation with Katra. As a little bit of background, it took us some time to get Katra's camera to work. So I'm very grateful for her coming on the show. I'm also grateful that we figured that out because this just would not have been the same if I couldn't have been looking at Katra while I spoke with her. Guys, you're going to love this. This is a conversation with who I now consider a very dear friend, Katra the Dirt Diva Corbett. Look at you. Look what we did. I am. If it's of any consolation, before we hopped on here, it took me about half an hour to figure out how to cancel my Prime membership through Amazon <laughs> because because uh, I like never order anything online. Matter of fact, I signed up for Prime when I ordered your book. <laughs> and you never use it? I use Amazon all the time. Well, because I live in the middle of nowhere. In the desert. Yeah. I can't even get my dog food. <laughs> I have to order it through there or, you know, Petco or whatever. No, we're at, we're here in the big city of DeKalb, Illinois, like mm. 40,000 people strong. So this is yeah. this is a, it's like a metropolis here. We're like under 3,000 people. They don't count. We live in West Bishop. They're counting just the downtown and they don't count the reservation. That's separate. So there's really about 5,000 people here. So I'm really excited, of course, to talk about all of your accomplishments. But you know what, what I'm really here for is the Baxter accomplishments. Oh, yeah. I know. I should have him up here. He is Cocodona. Yes. So he's done tomorrow. So he was going to do seven this morning, but it's like I said, it's super hot. 
And uh, yeah, so he did five this morning and he'll go out. Yeah, he did five this morning. So he'll do a couple more later today, like at seven. That is so crazy. So, But tomorrow he has 10 more to go. And then I'm going to take him up in the mountains though, like I did yesterday. Did you see the picture from yesterday up in the mountains? I did. It's snow covered up there, right? Yeah. Well, that was, we were at 11,972 feet. Okay. So yeah, that's up there. Yeah, but there's like normally this time of year you'd have tons of snow, so there's not that much snow up there. But there was definitely a, a few little snowy sections, and he enjoyed that for sure. Yeah, no, it was, it was nice. I was actually going through your stories before we hopped on as well, and seeing as how it's it's muggy as hell here, like I saw the snow and I immediately kind of felt my body temperature go down. It was nice. <laughs> You're all tired. I'm cooled down. Well, I need to look at snow pictures right now because today we're going to hit a record for this time of year. I think uh, 100 degrees was the record in 2003. So 103 we're supposed to be at today. So he's got 10 miles tomorrow. That's it. So I'm going to take him up in the mountains to have him finish it. And I thought I would like to finish it on the top of the peak, but we're going to go up the peak and then come down and finish in the parking lot. So I'll make him a little sign. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Not that he cares. He's just, he's probably going to be happy to be done and not be running (laughs) twice a day. Because like I said, it's been hot and Unless I got up at four thirty, you know, was out the door by five, five thirty in the morning, it just he gets overheated. If it's a seven, if it's seventy degrees, I mean, he's like, no, I don't want to really go. He starts slowing down. Yeah, like seventy five. Forget it. How long has he done this over? Like two hundred fifty five miles, right? It'll be thirty days. Yeah, thirty days. Your 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 doxy. <laughs> To 250. Yep, Baxter, my two-year-old. <laughs> my gosh, that's wild. Well, he did 200 miles. Uh, he did a virtual uh, destination trail race February, I think it was. He did a 200-miler, but we did it in a span of like over a month. I think he started he started on Truman's birthday and he finished on his birthday. So he did it in like 32 days. So this is far more. I mean, this is 55 miles more than what he did and he's going to finish in 30 days. That's so awesome. And there's uh, there's plenty of people behind him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He has given us something to strive for. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Truman's run 550K, so, but now he's retired. <laughs> and I saw your heartbreaking post the other day about the fact that like Truman is getting up there. And I have, I think I'd mentioned to you that I've got our black lab who's 11 going on 12. Yeah. And it's a legit thing. Like the guilt that comes with not being able to take them out there. And we just got back from a run this afternoon and he's lying on the ottoman, just like staring out the window and it just breaks my heart. Yeah. I mean, Truman wants to go, but it's just, I mean, I take him, like I said, at night we take him. That's why I save some miles every day, like three to five miles for him to go on with us. At the end of the day, like once Baxter's done his thing, then I'll do him. I, usually I'll go out in the morning, grab my coffee, and then I'll take Truman with me for three miles while I drink my coffee and then take him home and then do my run. But he wants to go still. He has like Baxter stops when he gets hot. Mm-hmm. He'll lay down. Truman has never, ever lay down. It could be 95 degrees out and he's still trotting along. He's his mother's son, right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So, but he, you know, when they get that old, you do have to just say, you know what, as much as they want to go, 
it might not be the best thing for them. You know, it's like, cause you, of course I'm going to, I have to slow down for him. And right now he's getting that doggy dementia. I don't know if your dog has that. And he's only really gotten it this last, I want to say in the last year, I noticed he started attacking Baxter, Mm. which he has not very many teeth. (laughs) Baxter just rolls over and lets Truman lay on top of him. (laughs) So that's the good news because now that I think about how people end up getting rid of their dogs when they're older. And I thought, why would you ever do that? But I thought if they had like, you know, Rottweiler that all of a sudden got super aggressive, how would you deal with that? You right. know, cause like I said, he's getting this mental, it's, it's a doggy dementia. I forget the, the proper term, but it's a thing. And he has it. He gets very irritated and snippy with, especially Baxter, not with, not with people, thank God, you know, and he, like I said, he doesn't have many teeth. But at night, they have this thing that's called, they do that's called sundowning. It's part of this dementia thing. Mm -hmm. And he'll wander outside and just start barking up at the trees, staring at like random stuff. And I'm like, what is he doing? And the more I read about it, I'm like, oh, this is a thing. This is like a a legit thing. Like when people get it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to talk to his doctor a little more because he goes, yeah, he's just getting older and older dogs do get like this. But just to make sure he doesn't have anything else going on. But it's like he doesn't. You know, he knows where his food, he knows where his water is. He is kind of going blind to like his vision has never been 100%. So it's getting worse. And he'll wander off. Like if I'm running, mm-hmm. I have to take him on wide, flat trails. Like last year, I lost him in the mountains for an hour. Oh, no. We were coming off of a back. Yeah, because I thought he was running right behind me and Baxter. So we went on an overnighter. And I thought, okay, we're going to start. Jo-. And this is before I knew he was deaf. This mm-hmm. is like the turning point when I realized he was deaf. So we got down and I realized, oh, I have, I better look behind me because I've been moving really fast. And I was like, oh my God, Truman's not there. There's oh Baxter. God. Yeah. So I, I thought, oh, he'll be around the corner because it was a bunch of switchbacks and he wasn't around the corner. He wasn't around the corner and I'm screaming for him and me. And it's like mm-hmm. hot out there and Baxter's having to run up this hill with me. I took my backpack and left it where I stopped. So if he got there, he would stop, you know, if he crossed country and didn't. Evidently, he somehow got off course, and this is what I think, because I ended up hearing this barking after like 45 minutes to an hour. I, I'm calling him out, and I hear this like barking, a faint barking. He went down, and there was all, all this overgrowth, and he went down near this river, and thank God he didn't fall in, you know, but I hear this like faint barking, so I, I run back, and I'm like, where am I going to find him? It's thick. It's mm-hmm. so thick. There's no like getting into this shrubbery that was all overgrown, and I just see out of nowhere, there was like a log and he popped his little head up. Like this, <laughs> and I just saw like the tip of his nose and a movement because I heard the barking and I ran in there. I got all cut up. I grabbed him and <sighs> I thought, where did he go? So what I think is he followed a game trail that kind of could shortcut down the switchbacks. Sure. And he, some got, he got ahead of us. Or maybe he was, I think he was coming down when me and Baxter were looking for him. But if you saw this trail, you would say, how did he get down here? So I don't know how he didn't hurt himself and he got to where he got. But at that point, I realized like 4th of July was shortly after that. And he didn't freak out over fireworks. And he is terrified of noises. Yeah. So that's that's, how I found out he's dead. Yeah, but he... But he's doing good. Other than that, I mean, you know, he's getting a little doggy dementia, but hey, we, you know, we all get a little loopy when we get older. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, I think most people know your story, and those who don't know it yet, 
They need to pause this podcast and go and order Reborn on the Run right now. It's inspiring. It's moving. It's often hilarious. It's just an incredible story that you have. 27 years ago, you got clean and you've done more than 100 races of 100 plus miles. You've got to be closing in on like 150 now, aren't you? Oh, of 100 miles or more? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 158. I, okay. I, I, I recently, or 148 or 158, something like that. I have to go look. I wrote it down. So I, I noticed, though, that you know a lot of people know about you getting clean, but I noticed like in your Instagram presence that you talk a lot about mental health. Yes. You talk a lot about anxiety and depression. I love the way that, I mean, I hate the way, but I, I identify with the way that you say having both anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same time. For me, Dexter, my black lab is like my go-to. He's my Linus blanket yep. when I need comfort. Yep. And we'll get into the backstory a little bit, but chicken and egg, what do you think came first, the mental illness or the way that you dealt with it? I think the mental illness came when I was younger because I went through some trauma and just, I always felt like I couldn't focus. You know, this wasn't a thing back in the day. They didn't say attention deficit disorder or things like that. Like I had a sister who died of a heroin overdose. She was bipolar, but they didn't, you know, they just said she was crazy. Yeah. Like she's crazy or she's like hyper. And, you know, it's like we didn't back in those days. Now it's addressed and it's like not as shameful as it used to be to talk about mental illness in the family. And it was, you know, looking back, like when my mom grew up, she had a sister that was kind of like that too. And it's, you know, it runs in the family. But yeah, so I think growing up, I had a harder time focusing and learning because I couldn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know, you know, I just felt like I, there was something wrong with me. Like I couldn't, I wasn't as smart as I, you know, the rest of the kids. It was like, I couldn't learn, you know, it's like, I have to, I, I'm a lot with the visual. I have to see things, you know, like, and I, and then I can retain it instead of reading stuff. Cause I start want, my mind starts wandering. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm sitting and reading, it's like, I'm better. That's why I listen to podcasts and you know, it's like, I can't sit and read a Somebody book. Somebody read to <laughs> me, read to me, damn it. <laughs> seriously, it's better listening for people that are like me like that. You can't sit still. And I'm, I'm like that. That's why I'm always out running. It's like, I can't sitting still. It's like a hard thing for me to do. Well, I absolutely love how much you put your story out there and how vulnerable you are. And I have to think that that's like, for me, that's a lot of my like program and how I deal with my mental illness is with that yeah. community. Do you do anything else in terms of addressing the mental illness? Like I just finally got into a new uh, counselor. I'm seeing a new therapist. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it's just like, yeah, I was doing some online therapy, but I need to get somebody good. It's hard when you live in a small town. Yeah. I mean, they have people, but it's like, I've been doing some online counseling and, and I need to really find somebody here where I can sit. And I have actually a lot of friends that work in the healthcare industry like that, that are therapists, but it's like, you, you, you know, I can run stuff by them, but it's best to have somebody separate, sure. you know, than friend doing your business. Absolutely. But during the pandemic, it's like I, I had friends that I could talk to and they'd give me tools like do this, but I already know all my tools too, from going through therapy for years. It's kind of like, I know what I need to do, but sometimes, you know, we just need that you know, somebody to tell us to send us in the right direction. Well, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, cause you, like you said, you have that built in network and y you have your tools that you developed over the years. Like you mentioned before, we all kind of need those like mental health Sherpas though, to sort of guide us back to them. Yeah. Now 
with you having, you know, 35,000 Instagram followers, I have to assume that you hear from, you know, goofballs like me on the regular. <laughs> but I love that connection, though. I love that connection. I know you do, but... We help each other. But I could only imagine that being overwhelming, though, too. You must... It does. You know what? You're right. So I'm... I do get overwhelmed, but you know what? I oh, This is what I say to myself. I'm like, the majority of the people that reach out to me, they're not wackos. <laughs> There's a, like a very small percent, but they, you know, they share with me private stuff that they don't share, you know, because they see me post something and they're like, oh, I have that issue too, you know, and they'll kind of, you know, say something to me in a, um, you know, DM or whatever. And I always respond back, you know, it's like, that person's reaching out to you and you may make a difference in their life, mm -hmm. you know? And so I know because I'm out there, you know, it's like, because we have social media now, it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, if you're going to tell your story like I do and be open like that, you have to kind of know that you're putting yourself out there and people are going to come to you and ask you certain things. And, you know, and I always say when people are asking, you know, telling me they're depressed or they're, you know, they've been using drugs all the time and they want to get clean and sober. I have to say, well, I'm not a therapist, right. but I, I say, where, do you, where are you at? Mm -hmm. And I will take the time to do a Google search of the area where they're at and send them like a few links and say, this is what you can do. This is what I did, but this is what you need to do because I can't, you know, I go, I barely can help myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard enough, <laughs> but I can sh share, you know. And the funny thing is, I was running a race uh, last two weeks ago, the Bishop race, the High Sierra 50K uh, race. And a guy came up to me and he's getting ready to run his first 100 miler. He was doing the 100K and he goes, because of you, I'm sober. Because of you, I'm an ultra runner. And he just whizzed bomb by. And I was like, oh my God. I go, you're going to make me cry. I go, thank you for that. You know, and it, it, he, didn't, he goes, I don't want to bother you in the middle of the race. I go, you're not bothering me. I go, I'm not winning. <laughs> I go, but you know what? I said, thank you for telling me that. That means my job is, is done. I'm doing the right thing. That here. brings me back whenever I do one of these, because I've got a, you know, like you do, I have a lot of other plates spinning. You know, I've got a, a, a couple of freelance <laughs> jobs. I've got two tiny humans who rely on me to keep them fed and I alive. Know, you've got dogs. dogs. <laughs> yeah. And, but that's how I gauge like the success of this advocacy is when I, when I hear from people and, and you hear yeah. about the various places that they are in their recovery journey. And just to know that you're providing a little bit of space for them to connect and heal. It's, just, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these folks, the reason why they identify with you and that you've helped them is because they've read your book, Reborn on the Run. Yes. And you alluded to it before that, you know, you were the victim of abuse when you were a child. Yes. Uh, th this all kind of culminates. And you had older sisters who... Yep, much older. Who had some, you know, some substance abuse issues as well. Mm -hmm. For those who haven't read the book, take us through it a little bit. How sure. how you ended up, you know, being in the throes of addiction yourself. So growing up, I had two older sisters, and my oldest sister was ten years older, and then my second oldest sister was like eight years older than me. So of course, I always wanted to, you know, when you have an older siblings, you want to be like them, you know. So I think I was trying to grow up too fast as a little kid too. Mm -hmm. And I, um, a family friend I got molested by and, you know, it was like one of those things where they tell you not to tell and you just scares you. You're nine years old. This horrible thing happens to you. And it's somebody that you're going to see on a regular basis. And you just kind of stuff that. Like yeah, that breaks my damn heart. 
yeah, it's horrible. And, you know, then you end up going through whatever in life. Cause you, you know, even my mother asked me, she's like, did he do anything to you? And I'm like, no, I was scared. So have you, have you heard from anybody? Like we were talking about hearing from folks. Have you heard from people on Instagram who suffered that as well? And, and maybe yes. because you wrote about it, they did say something. Yes. Especially guys. Oh, sure. You know, and a lot of guys are very private about that. Me too. I know it's highly inappropriate for me to say, well, I don't know if it is inappropriate because yes, I was, I was molested as a child and I first said it about a year and a half ago and hot damn, did it feel good to finally say it out loud? Yeah, I did it when I got sober, finally, Yeah, you know, so at 30 years, you know, 28 years old, I finally told my mom and, you know, when I was going to therapy, she's like, you got to, you got to tell your mom, you got to let her know because I never, and of course I'm like, oh, she's going to be mad at me. Why didn't I tell her, you know, cause they don't know how to react a parent. Yeah. She's like, why didn't you tell me, you know? And it's like, yeah, I know, but I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I was a little kid. I was scared. So yeah. And so I've had other people, you know, share that with me. And I think that probably just having that trauma took away my innocence. And then here we are, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm trying to grow up fast to be like my sisters, you know, start smoking cigarettes, start, you know, smoking pot, start, you know, and like I said, the older siblings, they always had their older friends around. And, you know, at 12 or 13, I did not look you know, 16, but I used to pass for 16 to get into the club. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but when you have the older sisters are like, Oh, that's Patty and Peggy's sis- little sister, you know? So I would have the end. You've got you the know? built in street get- cred. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you know, my oldest sister, when she was married, I used to have my brother-in-law buy us alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, for me and my friend. So I always had that person and he was an alcoholic. So it worked out perfect. You know, it was like, <laughs> Back then, I didn't really pay attention because I wasn't hanging out with him. Yeah. But I was like, oh, yeah, Greg will do it. He'll get us the alcohol, you know. So we always had that person. So my, you know, we'd go get the alcohol, go party, and then go to the club. And And then ultimately, alcohol wasn't like the chief issue. It was meth. Yeah. And that was the weird thing is that didn't come until later on. So I experimented, you know, I took acid. I did mushrooms. I mean, I never... I was addicted more to alcohol than anything, but you're just, as you're growing up, I didn't really like smoking pot. It just made me tired and paranoid and hungry, you know, but once, um, I started doing speed, that was it. That like, and I was anti speed. I hated when my friends did that shit. I'm like, yeah, you know? So when I started dating this guy, my friends were like, Jason, you better not tell her you sell speed. She will, she won't like you or whatever. And so one thing led to another, and he was like, "Well, I do. I sell it to make money, and I do it a little bit." And I'm like, "I'll do it. You know, I'll try it." So I kind of got into just sucked in because everybody around me was doing it. You know, or hanging out in the golf clubs, and he was in a band, and so it just I did it, and you know, I felt kind of crappy the next day, and I you know would just do it on the weekends and. How I ended up realizing the point that I was addicted was like me and a friend of mine we went to like a concert, like one of those, you know, where there's all kinds of bands. It was a Jane's Addiction, the guy Perry Farrell used to put on. I forgot Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza, yeah, the, like the original Lala. Yeah. First Lollapalooza. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we had been partying for two days, and then this is the third day, and I'm like, I feel like crap. And she's like, No, you got to do speed. I said, Oh no, I only do it for two days in a row. I'm, you know, and that's it. Yeah. She goes, no, you'll feel better. You'll feel better. So we went in the bathroom. I did it and I felt better. And then after that, it was every day. Yep. It was like that point on every single day. And, uh, 
yeah, I got fully into it. I got really skinny and you're like, yeah, wearing next to nothing, you know, in your goth outfit. So it's like, okay, now I look good. And, you know, and then I got obsessed with my weight back then, even, you know, the, I've always had kind of a thing for eating disorder. And then it spiraled when I actually got sober because then I needed something else to control. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so just, a, just one spiral after another. So often that's how it goes. One thing that I marvel at about your story that I think is it's super awesome for you. And I wish it happened for more folks. You were scared straight. I, it, it's such a cliche thing to say. It is, but yeah, it's true. You call a spade a spade. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just like an episode of cops. The cops came busting down the door. My boyfriend at the time, his parents, we lived with his parents. They had no clue. They were alcoholics too, but they're like, what is going on? I'm like, I have no idea. Cause they're like, who's Katra? Who's Jason? And his parents are like, you know, so they all handcuffed all of us and sat us in the living room. And then they went in the bedroom to get Jason because he was sleeping. And his mom's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. And they realized like, these parents know nothing. So what ha- actually happened is this guy told the cops that we were his big dealers because he didn't want to turn in the main guys, this guy, Jeff. But I'm, you know, I'm thankful that he did. You know, even though you look back, you're like, that fucking asshole. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, by but, all means. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes, thank you for saving my life. That's like what needs to be said. Thank you for saving my life. No kidding. You know, and so the cops came in and they realized, you know, Jason was taking all the blame. And so how I was involved is when they called on the phone, they were with him. And I answered the phone and did the sell over the transaction over the phone. He's like, I want to buy whatever, however much you wanted. And I'm like, yeah, we got it. Blah, blah, you know, so I was the one that did the sell. So, so they, I got involved that way. Otherwise I think Jason would have said that I wasn't, and he was trying to take all the blame and they're like, well, we know she was involved too. So they came in and then kind of tore apart the house and looking for more than what we had. And they realized the parents weren't involved and Jason showed them everything we had. And they realized, wait, these are not who we thought they were bigger dealers than what they are. So took us away, you know, and the cop, I'm in the back seat of the cop car and he's like, what you, he goes, what are you doing? You have a job, you know, cause they know what you're, you know, he's like, what do you work? I worked in a hair salon and Jason like has a record. I have no record, no tickets, speeding tickets, no parking tickets, no nothing. And so he's like, what are you doing with your life? Like what, how did you get involved in this? And you know, and I'm like, I don't know. And so he's like, yeah, you need to straighten your act up. And I'm like, I know. And, you know, and I did want to quit at one time and I realized I couldn't. So I came to, you know, the realization that this is my life. This is, yeah, I sat in my room one day and I'm like, nope, I'm going to be snorting speed the rest of my life and I'm going to be a goth. And this is just how it is, right. you know, at 28 years old. And I'm like, this is all there is for me. Yeah, This is just my life. But there's so much more to your oh, life. Yeah. But that's not your life. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and I got scared because he kept telling me the police officer, no, we'll make sure you're in your own cell and all of that. So, and he, and he goes, and actually you, you should be out tonight. Yeah. So I get in and you know, it's, it's such a long process. Like you're sitting at the, I'm at the woman's facility and there's like, you're in the waiting room area with everybody else. There's grandmothers in there. There's like, do you people who got DUIs? I mean, they have separate places now for them, but there was just like 
gangster girls. I mean, there was like, and then there was me, like all gothed out. Like <laughs> it just like the freak show came to town, <laughs> you know, and I just felt so weird being in there, but I'm just like looking around me and then they, you know, they do everything they need to do. And it's just humiliating. You know, you're like, okay, strip your clothes off in front of these people, take all your piercings out. And then they're like, you have to put this orange outfit on. I'm like, no, I'm not supposed to. I'm leaving. Yeah. And they're like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I'm getting scared. I'm like, fuck, they're sticking me in a cell. And sure enough, they ended up, you know, it was, it took hours. And I realized like the outfit was falling off of me. I was so thin back then. And they stuck me in, you know, my cell and I was by myself and with those bully blankets and, you know, they don't give you a mirror. They give you like, it's a sheet of metal. That's your, uh, you know, that's a mirror supposedly. And I'm looking in there and I'm like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Like, I, I really, the something click, like, what yeah. are you doing? This is not how your parents raise you, you know, on all this stuff, you know, as I'm coming down off of drugs going through my head and my father had passed away when I was 17 and I just kept thinking how disappointed not concerned about my mom because she was alive at the time but I'm thinking how disappointing how you know what a disappointment I am to him who had passed away you know and he was hoping for so much more in my life and so got out that day and 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 I was scared because they were like yeah they're going to charge you with everything that he got charged right. with you know right. which is going to be 6 months in jail most likely and I had a really good attorney and he said to me, they're just as hard as on, on the, if it's a couple that gets arrested, they're as hard on the female as they are on the male. And he goes, the only thing you have going for you, which is really good is you actually, he goes, you have a job, you've had a job for a long time and you've never been in trouble. So he said, I'm hoping that the judge will look at that and and be like, yeah, she, you know, she's never been in trouble and, you know, you won't get any jail time. But he's like, I can't promise you that you might have to do a month or something. And, you know, but I got community service and I ended up going to to a drug diversion program, which wasn't, you know, back then they were just starting to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I got the, an outpatient program, which was fantastic. I, it was great. I had a great therapist there. I mean, and had to go to NA, uh, I think five days a week I was going, but which was really weird going into this diversion program. People were in there like, they're like, you're still using, right? Like when Hmm. the the therapist wasn't there and I was like, huh? (laughs) And they're like, they're like, how are you testing clean all the time? And I'm like, I'm not doing drugs. And they're like, like, I didn't realize it was a thing. Like these people go through these things and they're still using, they're just using that you know, just being in there and just totally not even trying to get better. Oh, and it's a tale as old as time. It, it's, it still goes on today. And, and there's a million different ways now to mask whatever you're trying to hide. Well, so you didn't have to go through rehab, but I did. In matter of fact, the treatment center where I did my treatment happens to be a partner of mine. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work And the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE That's 
1-800-273-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right, Catra. So as you were saying, here you are in NA and in outpatients and stuff, <laughs> and it's blowing your mind that you're like the only person in the room who's actually not using anymore. But it's so weird because I was in there because I didn't want to be back where they are and be going to prison. Right. And not to, you know, I never thought I was better than anybody, but I was like, I'm not, you know, it's like, and then even to say, when I was going to NA, which was a great tool at the time, going to Narcotics, Narcotics Anonymous, it totally helped me. But, you know, after a year and a half, I mean, my brother still goes to meetings, but I just felt like, you know, I wanted to do something, you know, I was already exercising, I was working out in a gym and doing all that, but I just didn't want to keep talking. You know, I had a great therapist that I talked to, but I don't want to keep talking about like what in the past I want to go forward. Let's talk about things I want to do now, like things I have my dreams and my goals. And, you know, and then I felt like I was, because it was in downtown San Jose and I was going to narcotics anonymous, these people had way more, like they were gangsters and I was just a stupid goth girl in these meetings. And I just felt like I couldn't even talk because I, what I had to say was nothing. They're just like, oh, this stupid white girl, like she don't know nothing. You know, I, I, it was weird. Yeah. The meetings I went to back then, it's so different now, but I, I just felt weird. I went through that in treatment too. You, you hear all about like the, like the Boston AA mentality where the guys say, I've spilled more booze than you've drank. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like when I went to treatment, there was a certain amount of like, I need, I still needed convincing that like, am I supposed to be here with my Mickey mouse problems? Yeah, that's- It was, it was finally when like somebody pointed out to me, there was like, yes, you do have a problem. And I was like, outstanding. Cause now I can fix it. See, but I had my therapist, which through the outpatient program. So the, the NA thing was requirement for, you know, the drug diversion was part of it. But I just really, you know, because they'd say, oh, you're just not very social. Like, you think you're better. Like, these are men telling me this. It wasn't right. like women were saying this to me. And I'm like, well, I want to go to the gym now. I don't want to stand around while you guys are smoking cigarettes. And drink. And back then, I didn't even drink coffee. Like, I got espresso right now. <laughs> but Cheers. I associated, I associated caffeine with drugs. That's how hardcore I was. When I got sober... I got sober. Right. Like I didn't want anything to mess with my head. So I, I didn't want to sit around there drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and talking about this. You know, it's like, no, I just want to go to the gym and work out. And so, but I did meet some really cool people in there. And, and unfortunately, some people that I had been hanging out with ended up that were part of like my club scene that I hung out with. They never, you know, they were lying. They were going there and they were on right. heroin and everything else. And three of those people I actually knew died like oh. many years later still on that. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I'd be driving. I'd be the nice one, drive them, give them a ride home or whatever. And they'd be nodding off in the car. And I, like back then, I'm just like, what's wrong with them? And not realizing, yeah, they're on drugs. So it definitely was a great tool. And I always suggest people go, especially to AA. My brother's been going on and off for years and he's. He's been, I don't know how many years now. He's probably got about 15 this time around. But he's gone back and forth, you know, and, you know, he's got some great friendships. And my friend Julia has been sober now for, I think she just celebrated 30 years, 32 years. She still goes, you know, and it's like she does. It's what works for you. And I think truly for me, 
getting into running and doing the therapy and just reading a lot and doing a lot of self-help and addressing my issues and writing definitely helped me. Just really being outside is, I can think of things all day long when I get out on that trail, I, I can actually fix my problem yeah. that I was like, Oh no, just sitting around dwelling on it. It's like out there, it looks like a light bulb goes off and I got, Oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe I shouldn't act like that or, you know, and it's like you, just being out there yeah. in, in nature, well, it does something to you. You said it, that everybody has their own different program and their, their own sort of fellowship yeah. and you know, the, the running in the trail community became your fellowship. Now it did. It, this, this happened fast. Like you started out <laughs> like running a race. You didn't even do a 5k. You went right to a 10k, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like after oh, I had been running for a week, <laughs> I decided <laughs> I decided that after working out in the gym and walking my one of my wiener dogs, I've always had wiener dogs now for like 29 years. They've been in my life. Thank you, Jason, the guy that I got on drugs with. Thank you for introducing me, him and his family. We're wiener dog people. So it, I always say I'm grateful that he got me on drugs because I wouldn't be where I am today because I wouldn't have had to transition and become this person that I am today. And, you know, it, it's so true. And people look at me like, are you nuts? I'm like, no. no, I had to be a drug addict to, to learn to become this amazing ultra runner and this person to write. I had to have these stories, right? Like somebody's got to do it. No. And, and it's, it's such a beautiful thing that, that you can appreciate that. And I certainly do too. I mean, you said it earlier that there was a point where we thought that that was all that there was for us. Yes. And this is what we really try to focus on the podcast is that we, you know, we, we share those stories, but we always flip it to where we are now so that when you're in the light, you can appreciate the darkness. Uh, yep. I love that. And what a formative experience that was and how we can share our story with others. And it resonates. And for folks who haven't read the book yet, the, the Truman origin story oh, okay. is the best. chef's kiss. <laughs> I love that because- you found this creature that needed nurturing and that was so scared. It that, that melted my heart. I love that story. Oh, thank you. And it, he came like at the right time because I was going through a breakup like a few months after. They always do. I know. And it was like, oh, it was so perfect that he, you know, my other dog, Rocky, had passed away. And it was like, oh, I don't want to get another dog right now. And somehow I, I decided that I was just going to, you know, foster and be, you know, a volunteer for Docs and Rescue because I thought, oh, that would be great. I don't have to keep them. I don't have that attachment, but I'm going to, I'll take them for walks and I'll get them, you know, ready to go to their forever home. And so me and my old roommate were both doing it. And he, uh, of course, adopted the first one that came into the house. There's nothing wrong with foster fail. <laughs> so, exactly. So, and he was not, it was because of me that he fell in love with Rocky. And then he was upset when my dog Rocky passed away too. And so he's like, oh, what should I do? And I'm like, well, if you want to adopt her, adopt her. And so he ended up adopting her. He has two wiener dogs, now, by the way. <laughs> Truman came and I was not planning on keeping him, but he secretly, I was out of town. I was out running somewhere. And he kept hearing me talk about uh, getting a dapple someday, a dapple dachshund. And he, so Truman came with two adult females that had each five puppies, another, oh no, there was three. So there was two females with puppies, another female, and then him all came from this uh, hoarding house, this woman that had all these dachshunds. She had to give up some of them. And she had 22 at the time. So wow. I don't know if those puppies were included in that count. 
So he came and he goes, what, what kind of dog is that one? When the, or uh, the head of the foster came, she goes, Oh, that's an Isabella Dapple is coloring. And he goes, is that a boy? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, all, he goes, let's take that one for fostering. He texted me. He goes, there's a foster, a new dog at the house. He goes, I'm out of town. So you're going to be take, helping him out. You know, like we did this thing together. So I'm like, okay. He goes, but he's hiding behind the furniture. He won't come out. So I came home and I'm like looking around, looking around, where's this dog? And I look and this thing's all curled up in a ball behind the recliner, like not budging. And I, so I sat outside in front of the recliner and thought, oh, is he going to come out? So I got some food and it was like, he was kind of like looking, like it was this whole process. It was probably like an hour and a half before he kind of got his head out. And then I kind of slowly took him. And it was from there on out, he was like with me everywhere. And I went to take him on walks and I'm like, oh, this dog would lock down. So I'm like, I get yanking on the leash. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I go, he's afraid of everything. Like any noise, he was like, yeah. Like he never came out on his own. He was always under furniture. The minute we got out of bed in the morning, he hid under the bed. He'd hide it. Like we used to make a joke. Oh, we got to go do an extraction of Truman mm-hmm. for dinner and breakfast. You know, we'd have to bring him out. So we had this thing where we'd have, he wouldn't eat on the floor. He'd run and hide. So we'd set his food on the couch. So to this day, he still eats on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, we would bring him to the couch. And so it just, it, I was so sad. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take him to the trail because I couldn't get him going around the block. I would actually carry him almost completely around the block and we'd get near the house. Then he'd pull and go home. And that was it. Uh, anywhere else, you know, except for those two houses that were on the way home, he, he would be crouched down. So I thought, okay, I'm going to take him out here on the trail. I'm going to put him on the ground over on the trail. I'm going to walk with him, carry him over. And I thought, I'm going to start running and see if he will follow me because he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to run away. He's not that kind of dog. He just goes into a ball. Yeah. So I start running and I look and he starts following me. And I was like, huh. oh, he's following me. Not even on a leash. And I'm like, okay. So we just did like a mile out, a half a mile out and a half a mile back. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take him to Sonol tomorrow, this other area, which has less people because there was people around. And But he wasn't really paying attention. He was focusing on me. He didn't look at the squirrels. He didn't look at the cows. He didn't pay attention to anything. So I thought, oh, I'll do a garbage cleanup in Sonol because I was a volunteer for East Bay Regional Parks. And I'll take him with me. So, you know, and he'll have to walk with me while I'm picking up the garbage. He was more afraid of the garbage bag than anything. (laughs) So I was like cleaning up garbage and then I put it back in the car and I thought, okay, I'm just going to take him around. And so he was interacting with other dogs and people. And it kind of just started, I started like every day taking him to a trail and taking him out there. And then one day I thought, oh, I'm going to run, you know, two miles. I think we run a three miler. I'm going to run like two miles and see if he can keep up. He was right there with me, you know, so I just started building him up. And within a month, he, I had him signed up for a 10 K. And at that point I decided, you know, I put his picture up on the website. I, you know, wrote his bio up. And then, so people started contacting us and I was like, Oh, fuck. Oh, what am I going to do? And my roommate's like, are you going to adopt him or what do you, what are you going to do? And I, oh, then you're in, you're in too deep. Yeah. Cause, and I was like, Oh, Jerry, I got to keep him. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm like, he's going to end up at some wonderfully old couple's house, living life, Mm. sitting on a lap, getting pet and getting fed. But he already lived a life hiding for six and a half years under furniture from other dogs. I go, you know what? Uh -uh." So, and you know, people are like, how did you train him? I'm like, I didn't really train Truman, Truman, train Truman. Same with Baxter. Truman trained Baxter. I didn't do it. (laughs) 
Baxter from day one never had to be on a leash, like on the trail. Yeah. He doesn't wander away. I'm going to get deep here for a second. You didn't have to train Truman the same way that nobody had to train you to be a runner. This is true. There are so many shades of you in Truman. It's it's so wild. You're right. I love it. You're right. It's just, yeah, we found a love of being outdoors and feeling safe. Yeah. You feel safe out there. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, things going to happen, but you do feel safe. You're away from the population. You're away from scary noises and scary things for the most part. When you're out on the trail, you're just like in beauty looking around, you know, I don't know if Truman looks at it like that, but he's, it's a safe place. Yeah. It's always been a safe, and it's, I feel the same way. It's my safe place. There's no drama. There's just me if I'm by myself and the beauty that surrounds me. And it's just like those interactions. When you do meet people along the way, it's always a good interaction. You know, people are trying to get healthy. You don't know what their story is. And, you know, they sometimes say, hey, I know who you are. I have similar background, you know, and just a quick, just to say hi. They just let me know that, hey, I have a similar background. And I think that's cool. And I'm like, well, good for you. You're out here, you know, kind of thing. It's a safe place. It's a great community. It really is. And you have suffered so much loss and I'm so sorry for, for, for the variety of losses. Um, you lost your dad when you were 17, right? Yes. And, and Mm -hmm. and your mom, you lost her. Was it like 20 years ago? Is that right? Uh, 2002. 2002. Oh yeah. It's going to be 20. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it was, yeah, I found her deceased and I thought I would have a harder time. I mean, of course it's horrible, but I handled everything from the funeral arrangements and she taught me, she was, it was so weird. She had a living trust and she's like, you got to listen, come over here. This guy's over here, you know, doing my living trust. And I'm like, I don't need to know any of this kind of thing. And this was all a couple of months before she died. Oh man. So it was almost like she was prepping me And I knew exactly what to do. I knew what she would want. I knew what, you know, it's like my sister, my drug addict sister obviously wasn't around very much. And my oldest sister, she was in a relationship that she was controlled by this horrible person for many years. And so she just barely started talking to my mom again and was getting away from that person, thank God. And then my brother was married, you know, and doing his thing. So I was the one that she was telling me everything that I needed to know that I needed to do. And thank God, you know, somebody knew what to do. And I knew... You know, they couldn't have known like what she would want, you know, for her funeral. And I just did it the typical Catholic way. She would have wanted it and the music I knew she would want. And it was like, mm. you know, and I'm like, who? she was prepping me for this, you know? Yeah. So it, yeah, it was sad. I always think, you know, when I see older people, I'm like, oh, I wish my mom was still here or something will remind me. Like my boyfriend's mom was just here and she's 83 and my mom would have been about 86. So I, yeah. I'm like, oh, she reminds me a lot of my mom because she's Italian too. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I see my mom in her. It's so funny. So, but yeah, losing her. And then my, my dog passed away who was actually, that dog was obsessed with my mom. It was my first puppy mm-hmm. wiener dog that I got. Mm-hmm. And he died like three months after my mom passed away. And I always say he died of a broken heart. It's poetic. But he had surgery, but yeah. Oh, he would attack me if I tried to get him, get near my mom to give her a hug. He would like <laughs> bite me. And, and it was my dog. I'm like, this dog was like a protector of her. I think back on the story about you watching the Western States with your dad. 
and how much he appreciated that. Yeah. Then I think about like when, when you tried it and your mom was out there with you and you didn't, and you didn't finish in the cutoff time, but I still got there. <laughs> and you, Absolutely. And she supported you and she didn't get what you were doing, but she stood by you relentlessly. And when you're out on the trails and when you're out there in wilderness, that's sort of your sanctuary where you can be with them. Isn't it? I am. They're my angels, my trail angels. I always, I use them all to pace me. I pick different sections when I'm struggling. My sister is there helping me. My dad is there helping me. My mom is there helping me. My dogs, my friends, my, you know, it's like the list goes on. I have a lot of angels out there. So, and I let other people borrow them too. So I'm like, you can borrow a couple of my angels today. You got plenty to go around, right? Yeah. When I see somebody struggling on a trail, I go, are you okay? And they're like, no. And I said, well, here, borrow one of my angels and they'll look at me. I did this at Moab last year to a guy and he's like, what? I said, you can borrow my mom. She's passed away. And he goes, I never thought about angels. And I go, yep. And then he thanked me at the end. He goes, I finished. And I go, I know. (laughs) There are so many awesome stories packed into that one book of yours, Reborn on the Run. And from what I- Yes, everybody should read it. (laughs) From what I gather- you're uh, you're planning to to put out another book, and this is going to have a lot of a lot of like the craziest encounters that you've had. Yes, and I and you know what I thought each of my friends should write like a chapter of stuff with me because you don't really you know you hear them tell a story and they tell it totally different and you're like I wasn't that bad was it? <laughs> you know I take them on these <laughs> oh that's a cool idea I love that yeah because I've gotten asked many times to write stories for certain books you know stories of that some crazy story I haven't. So I have a few other books for people I've done that. And I thought that would be great to have like a section where my friends, because they've, I mean, my friends that have been around for 20 plus years during my running, they're just like, we don't have anything to do with you anymore in your crazy event. Because I still do crazy stuff. Like I got this 60 mile run. I get, I'm gathering people together to do out here. And I thought, oh, I wonder what kind of epic shit's going to go happen Because <laughs> it will happen. Trust me. It will happen. I know it. You know, that's all 24 hours with people. And some of them aren't used to being out there that long. It's like, we all got to make sure we're teamed up and everybody, I'm going to require everybody to have their own spot device. Because for so many years, I've survived being in the wilderness with when before they had all those things. Like when I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, you didn't have cell reception. We didn't have this, you know, iPhone with the Guth Hooks app that'll tell you where to go and you know no spot device so when i'm doing stuff in the back country here since whether i'm even looking out there the clouds i can tell there's a storm happening way out there yeah. and if something happens if you're taking a group of people out there's going to be like six of us i want everybody to have their own person that they're responsible with so if something happens they can you know use that spot device to get help or hike out with them the other direction where it's shorter or you know i do have in reach not everybody's going to have in reach so, and that's where I can, like, if I'm out there and I tell Phil, oh, I'm going to go do this, you know, 30 mile run and I'm going up over a pass and I got to come back in the afternoon. If there's a storm, I'm not heading up with all those piercings with lightning around. No. <laughs> so I, I can let him know by just like texting him, you know, it's like, there's a storm. It's going to be a while kind of thing. Talk about reliance on technology. Yesterday, I took the girls out to, to play mini golf in a, in a city that's like half an hour from here. We hop in the car. We get like three blocks away. I'm like, I don't have my phone. And like, I panicked and it was like, you know what? Fuck it. I was like, we're going. <laughs> 
I'm not bringing the phone. We are winging this. We're going old school. And then I was like, well, what, what would we have done 20, 20 years ago? And I was like, well, at least back then there would have been a damn payphone that I could have used. So there's actually some grounds for being scared in the case of emergency. Exactly. (laughs) You can't find payments. Yeah. I mean, I survived so many years out there with none of that. And I'll tell you why I do the spot device thing now. Phil, my boyfriend, three years ago now, he fell off. He was out on a run. He fell off of this. He was on a rock formation and it broke out from underneath his feet. Oh God. He fell like 35 feet. Oh. He, he, and he was up there with his phone and his phone fell too. He broke his pelvis in 12 places at the time. He didn't know, but he couldn't move. And he had to crawl to his phone. He had took him an hour. I think he said an hour and a half. They have this like little video that they made of him, you know, reenactment that the search and rescue did here about it. So, you know, letting people know it's dangerous out there, even when you are an experienced person. So it took him an hour to get to his phone. And then it took him another four hours because he had no reception Mm -hmm. to crawl one mile. I'm talking one mile crawling, not like, and his whole shorts were ripped. Everything was ripped up, but he stayed calm. And in situations like that, most people don't. And it was in February. It was super cold. That night was down in the teens and nobody was coming into that area where he was at nobody's out there. It's a very remote area. So he had to know that he just had to keep crawling until he was able to get reception. And four hours later, he got reception, called his work first because he is the pilot for Sierra Life Flight that transports people in the airplane. It's an air ambulance. Oh, how about the the irony of that? (laughs) I know. So he called his (laughs) boss and he's like, okay, this is the situation. And he was very calm, nonchalant. And he's like, this is my situation. And I need search and rescue now. (laughs) And he's like, we got it. He sent him a pin or whatever. And he came with the search and rescue and they still had to go a ways out carrying him in the the wheeled basket thing. And, and I was out of town helping um, somebody at a hundred mile race. And I get this random text. Oh, I was trying to base jump off of a mountain and uh, broke my pelvis in 12 places. Do you need me to pick up milk on the way home? And that's all he said. (laughs) He didn't say like, uh, like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I was in a different state. I was in Texas. And he's like, I'm getting flown to Reno. And it was like all this jumble. And I was like, what? So in the middle of the race, I'm pacing this kid. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, my reception's going to die, but I broke my pelvis. I'm having surgery right now. I'm in Reno. And I'm like, oh, and his, his phone was literally going to die. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get right home when I'm done with him. And I'll get to Reno. So, <laughs> so that is why he, if he had that spot device, he could have stayed put, got the rescue there sooner. And, you know, I mean, it could have been so much worse. What if he hit his head? Yeah. And he came to, if he had a spot device, he could have hit that, you know what I mean? Or it could have been worse. He could have hit his head and been stuck out there and died. So now I freak out. So, and I know I'm not going to have reception when I'm in the back country. So I'm like, yep, I got to carry this spot device and he can watch me. So I let him know, like I'm taking off. I'm not sure where I'm going to run, but I'm going to turn on the device. And if you want to track me. I'm and on. so as you rope people into doing all this epic shit, <laughs> yes, you, you want them to challenge <laughs> themselves. You got to be responsible. Be responsible. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, if something happened on my watch, I would feel awful. Yeah. So I, you know, just knowing that I'm taking a bunch of people and we're all experienced, but I'm like, yeah, it's just better, you know, teaming up. Whenever I used to go on long runs, you know, group runs, somebody always gets left behind. Like back in the day when I lived in the Bay Area, we had cell phones or whatever, you know, which is fine. 
But out here, if somebody gets left behind, you don't know, but maybe they're just having a rough day and they're going to have to walk and it's going to take them, you know, it's already going to take us almost 20 to 24 hours, depending on who's out there with me. And it's like, yeah, you have no way to con, you don't know. Like when I go fast packing with friends, it's like I get up on the pass and then I'm like, oh shit, where are they? I haven't even paid attention to look. You know, we stayed close enough proximity, but I get way ahead and then I panic because I'm like, what if something happened to them? I'm going to go back. So I'll wait a half an hour. And if I don't see him, I'm going to go back down the mountain looking for him. So, yeah. so just to have, you know, when you're with a, a group like that, it's better to have like everybody kind of have a partner. And then the, the other ones can, that one can run ahead and say, Hey, so-and-so hurt themselves. You know, we got to go back and help. <laughs> Do you have your exit buddy? <laughs> Here's a very trivial question. We were just on a camping trip and a buddy of mine convinced me to try the Beyond Brat. Oh yeah, the Beyond Meat stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, where are you on that? Because you've been plant-based for so long that you probably don't long for like that burger or that brat. I don't, but I occasionally eat those. Like I I like that as a treat. Like they have it at Carl's Jr., you know, the, okay. the one of those <laughs> plant-based things. So I'll get just the plant-based thing on a um, lettuce wrap. Okay. But I'm not a big, I never really was like when those all came out, like I don't really want to eat things that taste like meat. And now they make, it makes like a oozing of blood or something. Yeah. And like, eh. So they're really, really targeting that for, to get people to eat healthier, which I see, which is great. I mean, you have options now. It's not just like you have some tofu and you have, back then there was no almond milk. I think we had soy milk and I wasn't even doing much soy back then because I had an intolerance to soy and tofu, you know, anything soy based and wheat. So when I became vegan almost 27 years ago, so it'll be the same time that I've been sober, I, I couldn't eat that stuff. So I just, you know, it was like, I didn't have a lot of options. So it's great now they have options. There's many, many options but then, of plant-based things. But then you get into like the pulled pork imitation that you look at yeah. the ingredients and it's like, you can't pronounce half of them. That defeats the purpose, well, that's right? Not, yeah. So that's, there's so much unhealthy. I worked at Whole Foods for 25 years. Right, right. There's a lot of unhealthy vegans out there and a lot of unhealthy vegan food. Yeah. But if you look at it like, okay, maybe it is better for this person to eat the fake meat than the real meat because cholesterol, heart issues, you know, and all of that. And it, you know, people that like you, like you said, you, if you eat meat, if you try that, sometimes you don't know that it's actually plant-based. You're like, oh, this is interesting. It actually tastes good. So I've had people try the burgers before and they were like, actually, this is good, you know? So, but I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I'm more into that. And then I found this pumpkin base, like made with pumpkin seeds. It's like a tofu, but it's pumfu, and it's really, really good. So I've been using that instead of tofu. That's cool. Yeah, I'll check that out. Because I try to avoid that as much as possible. Guys should avoid soy as much as possible because of estrogen. Yeah, you don't want to turn into a female right now unless well, you do. <laughs> but, but, but gender roles are overrated too. Mm -hmm. I'm inspired by you. I, uh, my wife and I are training for our first 50 K, which is happening this fall. Awesome. And you guys, are you guys training together? We are. Yeah. So like, That's so like fun. our weekends are fucked right now. Like we, <laughs> it's just, but you have a partner to do it with, which is cool. It, it sure is. And the girls are watching, which is awesome. And we're thinking about parlaying that, or at least I am into the, uh, into the Hitchcock 
uh, 101k and council bluffs. The it's like the, Oh yeah. You run a half marathon and then later in the day you run a 50 miler is, is the thing. So I'm, I'm thinking about doing that. Oh, that sounds like a fun challenge. Sure does. <laughs> and like you think about the Midwest and that it's all plain states, but there's some serious yeah. elevation change oh, yeah, in council bluffs. <laughs> this all leads me to wonder where does all of this go? Where does all of this end Katra? Doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> doesn't. Well, because I think about, I'm 41, and I think about, okay, how how long can my body hold up? I, but then again, I look at like I look at Baxter, and I look at Truman. Yeah. It's like look at the example that they set. Yeah, four inch legs, and you know they yeah. can cruise along. There's no excuse. I'm 56. I don't, you know, age is a number, and of course, uh, as you get older, you get issues you know you know things start hurting more you have to work out a little more to keep that muscle on and you just adjust to you know you could go forever I, there's this guy bill dickey and he just amazes me all the time he's 82 years old and he was at the bishop high sierra he doesn't do the longer distance unless it's a fixed time you know uh-huh. he'll do like a 10 day and be able to do 200 miles, but that's a lot. I mean yeah. for that his age I'm like and my friend pat I didn't realize she's going to be 90 and she's been going for years. Like she was one of the legacy runners, which means she ran every single LA marathon, you know, since it started. And I mean, now she mostly walks, but it doesn't matter. She doesn't make an excuse. Like, oh, she just mentioned, oh, I'm getting up there. <laughs> like, you know, usually people say that when they're 75. Yeah, right, right. But like, she can say that now, 90. I'm, I'm saying it when I'm 41. <laughs> but you know what? It's like people like that that inspire me. That even if they're just out there doing like Bill Dickey was doing the 20 miler and I was doing the 50 K at Bishop high Sierra. And I thought he, it takes him a heck of a lot longer to do that 20 miles than most people finishing, you know, people are finishing ahead of him doing 50 miles, but he's out there and you always ask him how you doing. And he's like, couldn't be better. You know, it's never, there's never that like, Oh, this sucks. (laughs) You know, it's like, Damn it, if Bill Dickey's doing it, there is no excuse. You know, I want to be that person. You know what that tells me <laughs> is that it never stops. And that yeah. I think the what, what's clutch is to never fall out of love with the process, right? Exactly. Don't. You know, it keeps you motivated and it keeps you on track. Just finding something that inspires you and motivates you each day. It doesn't have to be running. It could be just walking, hiking you know, biking, whatever, lifting weights, but find something that you have a passion about and that you want to stick with it until you can't. And then things will change. You know, it's like one day I might not be able to run and I'll go, I'll walk, I'll do, you know, I'll do something else, but just keep moving is the key. You know, you have to, when you have mental health issues or, you know, you're in sobriety, it's like, you've got to find something. So you've got to keep, keep moving and staying active. I think, and eating healthy are just keys that will help help our mind. I mean, because think about it, if you eat too much sugar, I was thinking about this the other day. And I was like, I remember when I first got sober, I still felt like shit. I was vegan and I was eating all this like sugary, weird <laughs> stuff. And I was depressed because of course you get sober and then you're like getting rid of every single one of your friends. Like you can't go to clubs anymore. You're like, I can't do anything. I can't even drink. So, you know, it's just like eating healthy and not eating so crappy. If you just experiment and take a week and go away from all these, you know, artificial ingredients or sugar and stuff, and you will feel better mentally. Yeah. We're always reinventing ourselves. All right. Well, so what is next? What's the next event? What is my next event? 
So in July, I'm doing, um, so every year for my sober anniversary, which is June 24th, I'm I'm actually going to do it in July. I'm going to do, I thought I should do a 270 mile backpack because it'll be 27 years (laughs) of being sober and vegan. So I'm going to go out on, uh, I have a permit for a section of the PCT JMT, which goes through here. I've done the John Muir trail. This will probably be like my 14th or 13th. That's all crazy. That's yeah. I've done it a lot. So I decided if I start from Kennedy Meadows and just go to Yosemite, it'll be about 270 miles with the side trip up Whitney. And then I'm going to bag a couple other peaks I haven't before. And it's great training for my upcoming 200s, which start in August. So August, September, October, I have what's called the Triple Crown. And I have Bigfoot 200 in Washington, Tahoe 200 in Tahoe, and um, Moab 240 in Moab, Utah. So, and this will be, I'll be the going for my third triple crown, which there's two of us that have done it twice, me and a guy, but I'll be the only person going for it three times. Wow! So I decided I'm not doing it anymore after that because <laughs> I'm all obsessed with the number three. So that's why I was like, oh, three triple crowns. I like that. And then you can put that to bed. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I've done those races multiple times and there's only actually two of us going for the finish at Moab 240, who will have done it all five years since it started. So that'll be kind of sweet. That'll be my last 200 for the Triple Crown. So, yeah, and then I have another 200 in October. Sure, and, yeah. Yeah, and I want to do, do a double on the Tahoe Rim Trail. So it's 170 miles. And all these people were out there last year doing, like, breaking each other's speed records. And I'm all, I'm like, oh, if I do a double, nobody will <laughs> do a double. <laughs> so I'll get an FKT because I still have an FKT, fastest known time on the John Muir Trail for doing a double. You still got so, that. That's awesome. Yeah. There was a guy going to go for it last year and he didn't. And he's contacted me again that he was hoping to do it this year. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I wish him well. I hope he gets it. I mean, it's been standing since 2004. It's time. Yeah. Well, people get, they don't realize, I mean, even, I mean, people that have done it like really fast, they're like, there's no desire to turn around, like getting up to the top of Whitney. Why would you want to turn around when you could just be 11 miles and be done, (laughs) you know, down to the bottom of the portal. And so the Tahoe thing, I thought, ah, that's a long time to be out there. But I'm like, you know what? I I think I could do it. So I'm going to do it as it's called unsupported, not self-supported because I'm going to have like a resupply, I can do a resupply drop, but I'm not going to have any assistance. Like people can't come and pace me. People can't be, you know, I guess if I meet hikers and hike with them, I can talk to them, but you can't have any outside help other than I can go into the store to get food or I can send out a resupply, but I'll have at one spot. So everything I'll carry basically with me other than water, of course, out there. And that's why it's not self-supported because you would have to carry everything with you that way, but it's still an unsupported, you know, cause I'm not fashion because I'm not having people come in and helping me at all. Yeah. So I, and I thought, well, I'll go one way and then I'll go the other way. Cause I was like trying to figure out, am I going to keep wanting to go the same way? And then I'm like, no, no it'd be good to go. Cause I've done it both ways and I know which way I like better. So I'm going <laughs> to go the way I like better clockwise. I think, is it clockwise? No counterclockwise and then I'll go clockwise on the way back. So. Okay. Well, well, we will all be watching. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll do that in July. So well, we'll all be rooting for you, obviously. Yeah. So, well, Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Be sure to pass along to your boyfriend. Thank you for letting us come near the laptop. You're welcome. And make sure everybody buys my book. Absolutely. Reborn on the run. Oh, 
And yes, and this month's Trail Runner magazine. Check that I'm out. Like, Look at you. I know that just came today. So and I, I'm shocked. There's like a huge, there's like several pages of write up. And I'm like, whoa. Man, so you've got that. You're on this podcast. Wow, things are really yeah, coming and together. And your podcast. It's all coming so, together yeah. for you, finally. <laughs> You know, finally, people appreciate this wild rainbow woman that's out there instead of like back in the day, people were like, what is she wearing? What is she doing? You know, it's like. You are a goddamn unicorn and I love you. And I love your nails, by the way. Oh, did you see that? Yes. Yes. I love that. Thanks. I'd love to say that that was for you, but this is any given day with seven-year-old girls. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. You're (laughs) rocking it. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. That was awesome. Bye. All right. You heard it here. No bull pucky. If you're in a pinch with mental illness, addiction, Catcher Corbett wants to hear from you. Or you can email me 40,000 steps at gmail.com. The bottom line folks is just do not suffer in silence. Google is your friend, whatever sort of crisis you're in, type in a phrase and help is out there waiting for you. Very excited to see if, (laughs) all right, it's not if, but when Katra Corbett becomes the first human being to complete that triple crown. I'm so grateful that she came on the podcast, so grateful that she's out there being a source of inspiration for folks and for being a place for people to go when they're in a pinch. I'm so grateful that all of you were here and that you continue to be here. And when we're not here, you can catch me on Instagram at 40,000 underscore steps every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. You'll catch me on there doing a little IGTV chat. Next up, we're going to have my friend Brian Hazard on. This guy is a trip. He, uh... He's got 20-some years of sobriety as well. Three different people on the podcast this month with 20-plus years of sobriety. How cool is that? So until we meet again next Tuesday for that next episode, folks, if it seems like things are falling apart outside of here, outside of this space, remember here we are always coming together. Love you so much. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you.